This podcast is brought to you by the Maryland State Library Agency. The MSLA podcast features presenters from statewide youth programs, as well as learning opportunities for library staff and resources for patrons of the Maryland State Library for the Blind and Print Disabled. Hi everyone, it's Ashley from the Maryland State Library for the Blind and Print Disabled, and I'm so excited to have you back with us for another LBPD guest hour. Our guest this month is Alex Chan. He's a mental and behavioral health specialist from the University of Maryland Extension Family and Consumer Sciences Program. He's actually here to talk to us about stress management, family relations, the holiday buzz that happens every year during this month. His recent program development has focused on stigma reduction, mental health of farmers, and community capacity building through programs like Mental Health First Aid. He holds his master's and doctoral degrees in human development and family studies at Ashburn University. That's Alex, Auburn, sorry. I'm sorry, Auburn. I apologize. Yeah. Alex is also a licensed marriage and family therapist in Maryland and DC. He continues to practice marriage and family therapy with the Sibley Group, DC, outside of his work at the University of Maryland Extension. So, my goodness, you really, um, you really got in there to talk about very stressful things um, very quickly. Can you tell us what kind of led you to talk about um, and help people manage uh, their stress and their, you know, especially with family relations? Yeah, so I would say that my interest in that started back in college. Um, I was I was taking a psychology course um, when I was in my undergraduate years and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do some sort of counseling profession, but I wasn't sure exactly what kind. And so our professor actually brought in a family therapist from another university who was a trainer of family therapists. And he did some exercises with us, showing us like the kind of work that's done with family therapy. And that just really interested me. I just, I was fascinated by the idea of having multiple family members in the room at the same time and, and focusing on relationships that are unfolding right in front of you um, versus working um, individually with somebody. So that kind of sparked my interest. And then over the years, um, I have translated that interest not only into working as a clinician, but also um, working with the university and trying to translate some of that material into a educational format. That's a pretty, um, pretty awesome segue into the topic, actually, that we're here to talk about today, which is not exactly an easy one to talk about. We know that uh, December, which is uh, the month for that we're talking about brings high stress and even in the best of families, some of that family management that has to happen. The first thing I, I've got to ask is, you know, coming from this background and, and this interest, what would be the best course of action? What's the, what, where should people start um, before they go visit family, before they go and, you know, rush around to do the holiday thing? What's, what's step one? I think step one is thinking about if you know there are difficult conversations ahead of you. So if you can anticipate that there's going to be a difficult topic coming up during the holidays, maybe there's been some kind of life transition that you've gone through. Maybe there's been 
an event that happened to another family member that you know everyone's going to have to talk about you'll want to think about what are those difficult conversations and am i the one that's kind of in charge of initiating that conversation or might i be the one that is sort of like you know the one receiving that that invitation you know and or perhaps unwelcome <laughs> invitation into some of these conversations so i would say step 1 is thinking about you know what's what am i going to have to talk about and um why do i want to or not want to talk about that thing um uh, i think that answering those questions will help you figure out some of the other issues that um you can work on in between now and then so for example if you know that you need to talk to a parent about um their health then that sounds like a really challenging conversation to have and you know what are their options for the future um you know you might you might want to think well you know what are my motivations for doing this you know i want to i want to show that i can you know take care of my parent i want to know that i i want them to know that i i'm there for them but then you may also think like why don't i want to have that conversation well it it's scary to have that conversation or i've i've tried to have this conversation in the past and it didn't go very well um you know so there are like interpersonal concerns that i might need to address in advance and start kind of preparing for in advance does that make sense oh it makes perfect sense december is one of the hardest months um not just because of the holidays but because so winter is here mm -hmm. um and I know from my perspective, some of the most stressful conversations I have are centered around health and guiding senior family members to a direction I'm hoping that they'll go in. With December also being a very isolating month as well, I, I have found that a lot of individuals who have these conversations stress ahead of time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so you say, you know, think about things ahead of time, why you want to talk about them, why you don't want to talk about them. Um, but that could cause a lot of anxiety and stress. What are some coping tools that they can use to um, prepare themselves for maybe a difficult conversation? Yeah, so I think in preparing yourself for a difficult conversation, um, you're going to want to think not only about your reasons for having it, but also who are you talking to and what matters to them. So I heard a, a presenter um, once use the, the catchphrase of, you know, thinking about what makes people tick and what ticks people off. And so <laughs> um, I, 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 I love that, that kind of way of thinking about it because that will help you prepare, you know, so what makes them tick. So for example, if you're talking to another family member about something like, you know, what's really their motivations, you know, and, and trying to think about it from a positive perspective, something that they would tell you are their motivations. And then what takes them off? Well, what are the sort of things that, you know, um, put them on the defensive and try to plan the way you have that conversation um, in a way that will reduce that defensiveness. So can you start up the conversation in a gentler way? Um, are there ways to modify the setting or the environment so that people are more comfortable um, in initiating the conversation? Um, so I would think about that, um, you know, to try to, you know, plan ahead of time. And I would rehearse, honestly, um, you know, if you have um, a, like, if it's a family issue and you have other family members who maybe are 
sympathetic to you, um, you might rehearse with them about what you're going to say in advance because they might provide you feedback on, well, I know this is how that other person is going to react and have you thought about this? So going through that conversation um, with somebody can help you feel more prepared. Or if you don't feel that that's appropriate, you could do that with a therapist. Um, you can you can talk to a therapist about, you know, I have this conversation that I'm really nervous about having and I just need to practice it ahead of time. And that's a perfectly normal thing to ask of a therapist. I, I have to ask because this kind of brings up another another point um, because I think therapy is very, very important. These are people who are there for you when you need it. Mm -hmm. um, but I do ask the question, is this month where you have got, you know, holidays, you've got stress of financial situations and, and, and all sorts of things kind of going on. This is a big month. Should you delay having difficult conversations for sake of family peace? Or, or do you think that as, as a therapist, do you think it's sometimes necessary to have those conversations when they need to happen, regardless of the time of year? Yeah, I think the sooner you can have difficult conversations, the better, because there's always going to be a reason why you could wait. There's always going to be a reason, you know, why I don't feel ready yet, or I don't, you know, I don't want to rock the boat, or I just want to have a good holiday, or, you know, there's, and and plenty of those are are pretty, pretty reasonable um, excuses, but they do have the effect of delaying certain conversations that must be had. And so in the meantime, if there's a misunderstanding that needs to be cleared up, it's still out there. You know, if there are decisions that need to be made, there's still uncertainty, you know, and so there's there's a lot more reason, I think, to have the conversation earlier. Um, a lot of times folks think that, you know, for example, um, when I've worked with people who are, are struggling with something like depression, they'll say, I'll do this task when I feel better um, or I'll. I'll start exercising again once I feel better. And you're putting the cart before the horse there a lot of the times because doing that thing will give you a little boost, um, a little boost. You know, your brain gets a little boost of dopamine when you check an item off your task list. And sometimes that's exactly what you need to feel better. So um, with these difficult family conversations, I think it's the same way. You know, people, there is a good amount of preparation you can do, some of the things I've already mentioned. Um, but then at a certain point, you just have to try um, and and give this give the practice and you know the skills that you've been building a chance to um, have their effect. Because um, if you keep preparing forever and ever, um, you run into the likelihood of circumstances dictating choices or dis decisions rather than you being the more active participant in making that decision. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. You mentioned depression and statistically the winter months cause a lot more depression. Um, and uh, holiday depression, holiday fatigue, holiday burnout, um, winter fatigue, burnout, seasonal affective disorder, all of that kind of um, uh, goes on the rise. What are some of the warning signs? Um, because I know, I know for me, I know what I'm like, mm, that's a, that's a, Ooh, I know what, I know what's coming and I can take proactive steps, but, but what are some things people can be on the lookout for, uh, to know whether or not they're falling into depression? 
Yeah, I would say that if you find yourself withdrawing from your normal activities, that's a really classic sign that um, your, your mood is going in that direction. If you find yourself really struggling to complete basic tasks, you know, even things like just getting up and getting dressed, um, then that would be a sign of, of depression, you know, lacking the motivation to do your, your normal daily life tasks is a pretty clear indicator. Um, and then there's some other more classic indicators, like just feeling hopeless. You know, if you, if you don't think, if you, as you imagine the holiday season, an immense wave of helplessness or dread overcomes you, that may not be an indicator of, of depression in the moment. Um, you know, maybe actually some anxiety, but feeling hopeless is, is also a, a indicator of, of being in that depressed state. So, um, the, the signs can be different too, depending on the person and the age group. So for example, um, a lot of times um, for a group like teenage boys, you may see depression express itself um, and even younger children as more irritability um, than flat out sadness. And that has a lot of explanation, some cultural um, you know, ways you know, in which uh, boys are trained to express themselves. But you might see that irritability as, as a sign too um, of, of depression. So that's something to keep in mind. But I would say overall um, withdrawal and you know absenteeism of any kind and then difficulty performing your daily tasks would be clear indicators that some help is needed. You know, there are so many things people can do um, around depression and anxiety before they go see a therapist. What would be some um, methods or tools that they could practice on their own if they're like, mm, I know, I know I've got anxiety. I don't want this to become depression. What can I do? Yeah. So I would say that one of the things to look out for and that you can actually uh, practice addressing yourself is dealing with rumination. So when I say rumination, I mean um, the thoughts that come back and keep coming back and it's the same thing over and over again. And no matter how much you think about that problem, you can't seem to come up with, you know, a new solution or a new, you know, a new idea about it. So when people ruminate about the same things over and over again, that can contribute to experiences of anxiety or depression. However, I think it's one of the things that starts pretty early and that you can you can um, catch before it turns into something that really busts your mood. Oh. So for rumination. I, what I always tell people is um, first you have to develop the skill of thinking about your thinking. You have to know, am I the kind of person that tends to ruminate when I make a mistake or when I'm anticipating something bad? Do I, do I tend to get stuck on the same thoughts? So taking a moment to think about yourself and think like, is that me? And if so, then figuring out what am I gonna do when I catch myself ruminating? And I think there's a few steps that people can take um, when you catch yourself ruminating. And I think um, the first one is asking yourself like, all right, is this leading to a actual change in my decision-making? Is this leading to new insights? Or am I just thinking about doomsday scenarios over and over again? Um, so if it's not leading you to a new way of thinking or a new solution, then it's probably not a useful train of thought. You know, I'm not saying that all repetitive thoughts are bad, 
Um, but the ones that don't seem to go anywhere, that don't help you decide anything, those are the ones that you would want to interrupt and instead think like, well, what does this say about me? Like, I keep thinking about this conversation that I haven't had yet with my parents. And, you know, I, I, I've already done all the thinking I can about it. Like, you know, I've, I've, I've planned what I want to say, but I can't seem to anticipate what they're going to say. Um, that would be something to interrupt, you know, cause you're not going to be able to precisely predict everything about, you know, future interactions. You're not going to be able to cover every one of your bases. Um, and so you would want to interrupt that and say, all right, the only reason why I'm having this rumination is because I just want to restore a sense of connection with that family member. I just want to, you know, say something that's really important to me. I just want to be honest, you know, so try to reframe that rumination in terms of what it says about you in a positive way. Because a lot of times ruminations are about problem solving. They don't always help us problem solve, but they show us that something is important. So that's not a bad thing. And you can sort of pat yourself on the back. It's like, okay, the only reason I'm, I'm having this rumination is because I care and that's not a bad thing, but it's also okay to move on from it because it's not really helping me right now. So once you've, once you've been able to recognize kind of the good place where that rumination may be coming from and that you're just trying to solve a problem, then it's easier to actually let go of it and say, if I don't attend to this train of thought and instead find a simple distraction, um, it will fizzle out on its own. Does that make sense? I think it makes a lot of sense because I'm guessing individuals, especially during this time of the year, as they're preparing for family situations, as they're preparing for um, winter, they uh, may have an obsessive thought or two mm -hmm. um, where it seems a, a problem is insurmountable. And it, and it does lead us right back to having, having sometimes difficult conversations um, but also setting your boundaries and your expectations. Um, you know, part of stress management is setting boundaries and expectations with, with the people around you. What tips do you offer for having, because again, that goes back to that difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but what tips do you have for, for in the moment, I need to, I need to set a boundary right here, right now, even if I can't verbalize it? Yeah. Yeah. So if you can't verbalize a boundary, um, you know, as, as fully as you would like, um, just letting somebody know, you know, that's that in a, stating it in a way that's about you, like saying, I need a moment right now. Um, and can I, can I come back to you about this? You know, so if somebody says something shocking and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to respond to that. Like that, that offended me so much, but I need to think it's okay to just be plain about that and say, I need some time to think about that. You know, can I, can I talk to you later? Um, and then if you are able to verbalize it, um, a lot of times, um, using some kind of pre empathy towards the other person, like trying to see that, oh, maybe they didn't, you know, I'm not going to assume that you were trying to hurt me. You know, I, I trying to show the other person that even though you're drawing a boundary, um, that you don't think that like, they're a bad person you know, cause that's going to put them on the defensive. So when I think about drawing boundaries, I always think like acknowledge that, you know, the other person's intentions may not have been bad, you know, don't, don't, don't show judgment towards them, but also let them know that like, I don't want to be spoken to in that way, or, 
um, I don't agree with you, or, you know, can we keep talking about this? Oftentimes, um, you know, people don't give each other the chance to try to keep a conversation going and they don't try to be transparent about like, I want to change your mind. And sometimes just saying that out loud may open the person up. You know, when you respond instead by just debating, like somebody says something you don't agree with and then you just immediately start the debate, they're already gonna be defensive. But you reduce some of that defensiveness by saying, hey, you know, I'm not sure I agree about that. Can I just try to change your mind? You know, and, and approach it that way as if it's you're accepting the fact that you have differences and you're you're offering them, you know, like the chance to say like, no. And then that gives you information about like, all right, I shouldn't waste my time with this person or yes. And then that sets the stage for a more productive conversation. I once read, you got me thinking about something called the debunking handbook. Oh, um, and I read in this, this debunking handbook, which is a. it's not like a real book. It's like, what, 20 pages. And um, it said it was like a physical blow when you have to have a difficult conversation and um, you're coming at it from opposite sides and you're challenging someone's um, perspective on something that that the brain reacts as if a physical blow happened. Mm -hmm. And um, as someone who doesn't want to cause pain (laughs) to someone else, you know, you have to kind of empathize with their anxieties and their their boundaries too. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think most difficult conversations that I deal with aren't necessarily about ideological differences as much as they are about hurt feelings. And so people will interpret ideological differences as personal attacks. And so, you know, because we don't agree on this political issue or this, you know, this, you know, issue in our society, whatever it may be, you think something's wrong with me. And so you do have to respond, you know, and show empathy, like you were saying, um, in order to kind of reduce the other person's alarm bells. And a really strong indicator that that empathy is required is if the conversation feels repetitive. So if you think that you're hearing the same words, same conversation over and over again, it's probably because that other person doesn't believe that you've heard them yet. And so if you want the chance for them to be more open to what you have to say, then you might have to be the bigger person in that moment and really lean into what they said and empathize. And empathy does not mean you agree. So you can tell somebody with authenticity that you see how they got where they're at. You know, I understand where you're coming from. You think this or you feel this because, 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 you know, and give them the reasons why it makes sense to you. And then they'll actually get the evidence that you heard them and they can stop repeating themselves. And when when they're not trying to make their point because they believe you heard them, they become more open to hearing what you have to say. Wow, that's really impactful. You know, going from one impactful thought process to another, you know, winter is is upon us, it's coming. Um, Or if uh, by the time this gets placed on, on our podcast service, it might have, it might have already snowed once. We don't know. Um, you know, the, uh, repetitive thoughts also happen during that time of, uh, for, for those reasons, seasonal affective disorder, um, uh, you know, just the fact that it's winter and it's nasty outside. Um, and I know things like sun lamps can help, but what are some things that we can do 
mentally to make us fit for winter? So, um, you know, with winter, I think a lot of the things that we associate with that are reduced activity, reduced light time, um, you know, and so that's, you know, that's probably what you're thinking about with the, the sun lamps and all that. I would say that part of staying fit, you know, for the winter time is to try as much as possible to maintain your social engagements. I think that's partly why a lot of our cultural celebrations occur during the winter. Uh, it helps give us a reason to stay connected, even while it's rather inhospitable outside. We get together, we huddle. You know, there's that there's that uh, literal and emotional warmth that we get from from gathering. So I think that um, you know, calling your friends and trying to you know visit as much as weather permits. You know, during the winter times, because otherwise it's really easy to just stay inside and say it's too cold to do anything and some days some days that may, may be true but that doesn't mean you can't pick up the phone and talk to somebody so i think that's one thing is maintaining social connection during the winter um, months also just thinking about your basic you know physical well-being during the the colder months you know if your physical activity relies on being outside then you might think about like, what are some of the things that can get my blood flowing during the winter months that can be done inside, even when it's too um, cold to be doing something outside. And there is such a strong link between exercise and mental health. And, you know, for, for folks who do rely on outdoor activities, that's part of your preparation is thinking, how am I going to transition that during the winter so that I don't lose that source of positivity in my life. Um, so yeah, social connection, and then just physically making sure that you're taking care of yourself. Um, I, I think those two are can go a long way um, and can be done in ways that are, you know, free. You know, they don't <laughs> always cost money to, to, to do those things. My next train of thought kind of goes through, okay, I've tried, December, December is a monstrous month where we've got lots of cultural events. We've got, you know, separation from friends and family due to poor weather. Mm -hmm. um, and I've tried all the things. I, I, I'm exercising, I'm eating right, but I'm still not feeling able to manage either stressful conversation or things like that. And I'm considering therapy. What are some things that you would, you as a therapist would say, hey, these are some things you need to think about before coming in because we want to be able to help you. Yeah. So um, I think that you, you actually don't need to have as specific of a request um, for a therapist to start to help you. I mean, I've had plenty of clients come in um, for their first session and they'll tell me, well, yeah, I need to talk about, you know, what's going on in my life. And there are certain issues, but I also just get the sense that, you know, I'm struggling in a variety of ways. So actually in building the relationship, we use the first couple sessions to identify what would be the most impactful goals. So you might just come in saying like, I don't feel right in my life right now. Like there are things going on, but I don't necessarily have a specific goal or I don't know what's achievable. And that's what the first couple of sessions of therapy are for. 
So I wouldn't stress out too much about like, what am I going to say at first? I would just think to myself, like, all right, can I tell the therapist a story about why, why I feel the need for help? You know, the things that I have tried already to address my issues and, and the things that, you know, have may have worked, may not have worked. Um, Just, just tell the story of your progress until now. And the therapist will work with you to formulate goals that are meaningful for you at that moment. Is it something that people, um, can they have, um, if they've gone through those first couple of sessions, therapy doesn't have to be a lifetime commitment, right? It can be. No. Because, um, you know, can you tell me a little bit about that? Like, Yeah. So therapy, there's so many different models of therapy out there. Um, and some of them are quite brief. Some of them, um, they are very much focused on the first issue that you bring up and resolving that issue as you know quickly and practically as possible and then you know if you're you know once that first problem is solved goodbye you know you you know no need to come back um other other uh styles of therapy involve a little more um exploration of the past and patterns of behavior that may be contributing to the present uh, and they are, uh, you know, what some people might call like insight oriented, like de- developing the person's insights so that they can, um, you know, apply that insight to their current problems. Um, and then other other forms of therapy are, um, you know, and especially in, I would say in Maryland and really in the DC metro area, um, there are um, there is a pretty strong um, psychodynamic um, community of of providers and that treatment process um, usually takes a little bit longer. So you wouldn't just be in for a couple sessions. Um, and there's more examination of kind of more deeper internal um, psychological processes that may go back um, many years. So there's a variety of approaches. No one approach is going to be right for, you know, uh, well, let me say that again. So no, every approach may not be correct for you. And so you can ask the therapist you know, what is your approach, you know, because I, you know, my resources are limited, or my time is limited. And I, you know, I just can't afford to go to, you know, years of therapy. And if that person, you know, says, well, I use, you know, uh, you know, I typically see clients for, you know, this long, then you might think, okay, well, does that fit with what my needs are? So you can ask the therapist what their orientation is, and how specific or broad their work tends to be. Um, And you can decide what feels right to you. Um, and you can pivot, you know, while if you're already seeing somebody and it doesn't feel like it's working out, you don't have to continue. Um, I know that's a burden to change, but better to change to a better fit than to keep working with a style or an approach that's not really working for you. Again, very impactful. It's got me thinking here, you know, um, and of course, I, I'm a question machine. I always yeah. I always have questions, you know, like uh, it, it just it just always comes to be respectful of, of course, time and energy. Are, are there additional things you would like to share with people who are listening about um, mental health, mental health during your holidays, mental health first aid, you know, being able to slap that bandage on yourself um, or or help a family member, you know, uh, these kind of things are kind of rolling around in my head right now. 
Yeah, I would say I, I I think I would like to just make a comment on stigma and how what I've been seeing is in certain communities across the country and the state, it's becoming easier to talk about mental health. It's not true across the board, but I, I am noticing that, you know, especially since the pandemic, there is more public conversation about mental health. However, I don't think that always translates into individuals' willingness to admit their own problems. So I think people are more comfortable discussing other people's mental health, but it still feels embarrassing or shameful to talk about your own struggles and to think about accepting help. And so I think that a lot of us are still dealing with a fair amount of internalized stigma. So we don't necessarily go around shaming other people for talking about mental health, but we don't let ourselves seek that help. We think I should be able to take care of this on my own. I should be able to solve this without the help of a therapist. Like that would mean that I'm crazy or some other, you know, bad word like that. And so, you know, I think that during, you know, especially thinking about the holidays and, you know, the struggles that, that people are anticipating that you have to free yourself from some of those thoughts and say, actually, that's not true. Like, it doesn't mean you're weak to seek a therapist. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have to figure out these things on your own. Like if you're trying and things aren't working, like you deserve help. That's part of being in a society is being able to get help from people. So you're not burdening others. You're taking advantage of what being a human in a society is. So so don't let those, those kind of individualistic, you know, gotta pull yourself up by the bootstraps like don't don't let that hold you back from getting help early because as a therapist it's a lot easier to help somebody when they come in early versus when they've been dealing with a problem for years again very insightful you know i think i think i'm going to hit the pause button here and say to our listeners that you know i will be providing some additional information along with our presenter's bio in the show notes you know this time of year is very very uh, hectic because of the oncoming winter and, uh, you know, many of the uh, things that go on in, in these months. Thank you so much for being here and for really providing insight. And, and it, it's it's so hard to do it in less than an hour, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's a challenge, <laughs> but I, I, I think we've got some good information out there. I, I think so too. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, say thank you to everyone who's listened and uh, stay tuned for our next uh, our next uh, guest hour. So have a great day. This has been a presentation of the Maryland State Library Agency. For links to additional resources provided by today's presenter, please visit the show notes. For more information on MSLA or the Maryland State Library for the Blind and Print Disabled, visit marylandlibraries.org.